Verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught. The brethren, unless you are circumcised according, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they cursed great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So basically here in the early church, there was a problem. And they were grappling with this controversy. The controversy of is Jesus alone sufficient? And this morning, I just want to use for my title, Jesus alone is enough. Jesus alone is enough. In Acts 15, the question arose, and they debated, and there was dissension among the believers. Whereas some of them said, you know what? You can have Jesus, plus you need to add some things to it. You can have Jesus plus the law, have Jesus plus Moses. And then there were others that said, you know what? It is Jesus plus nothing. And whether you know it or not, the church today is in the exact same place. Many of us who have received Jesus as our Lord and Savior are still grappling by trying to add additives, if you will, extras. We are trying to pile on. We say, I have Jesus, blood, but you know, Jesus, uh, you need some help. So I add the law, I add philosophy, I add my consecration, I add on and on and on it goes. John MacArthur, a very renowned, high-profile national preacher out of California, he told a story once. He said he was invited to Hollywood to come and share with some actors and actresses. They had gotten them in one hotel room and invited him to come share with them. And he said that was his very first time ever going to Hollywood. And so he was excited about that. He said, wow, I get a chance to present the gospel to these actors and actresses. So he goes into the room and for 45 minutes expounded on the scriptures. Now, he said when he got in the room, he was very befundled because he saw some of those guys smoking their cigars. Some of them have their cocktails in the room and there were all kinds of things were going on. But, but he was not in church, so he was in the hotel room. So after he got over the shock, he presented the message. So at the end, he made, the, he asked the, he made a, a, a call for whoever wanted to receive Jesus. And said, this young, good-looking Indian man raised his hand, came forward, and he was overwhelmed with joy. Wow, someone in Hollywood is getting Jesus today. He led the young man to the Lord, and as he led him to the Lord, the man, the man said to him, you know, 
I just came from India. I'm a, I'm a Muslim. I've been a Muslim all my life. And I heard this good speech, this good message. And so I received Jesus. So John MacArthur was very excited. He said, wow. He had never had the privilege of ministering to a person who lived as a Muslim who's now become a Christian. So he pulled the guy aside, wanted to pray with him to make sure he understood the message. And so they knelt down together. In, in, uh, before they, knelt, they knelt down together on the corner in the room, prayed with a young man, and the young man got up and said, man, I'm so thrilled. He said, now I have two gods. I have Jesus and I have Muhammad. <laughs> so John MacArthur realized, my goodness, after 45 minutes, and his side extra teaching I just gave this guy, all he heard was, I have Jesus and I have Muhammad. You know, we laughed and I laughed when I read the uh, testimony, but that's where many of us are. The only difference is for many of us, it's not as, uh, it's not as blatant. We're not saying I have Jesus or Muhammad. But for many of us, we've been taught that Jesus is not enough. Now, even though nobody ever came to the pulpit and says, Jesus is not enough. But we've received that very subtle message by the other things we added to Jesus. And so this morning, I want to help you to understand you need nothing else other than Jesus Christ. Amen. Is the beginning and the end. Yes. The first and the last. Yes. The alpha and the omega. Yes. And everything in between. Absolutely. Jesus alone is sufficient. So in Acts 15, this question, remember now, these guys had one and one with Jesus, many, for many of them. Jesus taught them. Jesus prepared them. And yet, a few months and years after he ascended to heaven, this question arose. No one can be saved except they be circumcised. Or, no one can be saved except they be circumcised or follow the law of Moses. Do you understand how rigorous that was? The law of Moses was at least 613 different laws, rules, and regulations. And the Bible tells you and I in James 2.10 that if you obey the law and miss just one, you are guilty of all. Now, I'm, I'm bringing this up because I want you to understand the importance and the significance of what Jesus has done for you and I. Living under the law does not give you proportionate blessing. Let me tell you what I mean by that. By that I mean if out of 613, you are to pass or to do 600 correctly, if that was an SAT test, if you got 600 out of 613, we clap for you. That would have been an excellent score. But under the law, if you got 600 out of 613, you still got a zero. If you got 612 and a half out of 613, it's still a big zero. That's why you must recognize the importance, the significance, the largeness of what Jesus and who Jesus 
means to you and I. He's everything. He's all in all. There has never been any like him. There will never be any like him. He alone is the true and only living God. Hallelujah. Now, let's read a little further in Acts 15. Wow. Verse 6. Now the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles will hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows their heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. I don't have time to go and read that passage. But be mindful that when Peter was preaching to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, God wanting to put his signature on their salvation did not allow Peter to finish his message before those guys got born again. Oh my goodness. God will not allow Peter to get to three points, conclusion, altar call. The Bible said, while he was yet speaking, the Holy Ghost came upon them. Peter could not go home and say, man, I did a great job. God sovereignly, by his spirit, gave them the Holy Spirit and got them born again for time and eternity. And here Peter is telling the rest of the apostles what happened. Now, let me read a couple of more verses and then move to move on. Verse 9 says, and made no distinction between us and them, purified by their, their hearts by faith. Verse 10. Now, therefore, why do you test God? By putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Yoke there represents the law. Galatians chapter 5 tells us that. Galatians 5.1. The law is a yoke. It's an added weight that people put upon themselves trying to please God and they can never please God by the law. Now, I just want to show you through scriptures in the next few minutes the sufficiency of just knowing Jesus. This generation, this younger generation, this millennials generation, this generation, this is the great, they have the greatest opportunity of a lifetime to learn and to get to know Jesus without any added external substance. For many of us, we came to the kingdom of God with jokes. You have to pray one hour a day. First two times a month. Go to all prayer meetings. Go to uh, Sunday school. Give your tithe. And on and on. Wear, don't wear uh, uh, a skirt that's too short. Cut your hair properly. Trim your mustache. Oh, no, 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 no. It went. That's what many of us knew as believers. But for this new generation, if they get it right, they can totally, completely bypass all of that and go straight to Jesus. Amen. The blessing is in Jesus. Yes. Not anything else outside and apart from him. So let's go 
let, let, let me read one more verse here, and then we need, uh, then we, we need to break it down. So they had a discussion. They talked and talked and talked. So in verse 14, no, verse 13, Acts 15, 13. And after they had become silent, the debate has gone on. They've argued, they've talked. James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God had first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And so now James makes the connection. And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. After this, I will return and build the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. So very quickly now, please go to First Chronicles chapter 13. First Chronicles chapter 13. So we see how James, the brother of the Lord Jesus, in Acts 15, after listening to all the argument and all the debate, something finally clicked. Ah, now I see from what Peter is saying, how the genders came to the kingdom. Now I see the connection. This is what God was saying through the prophets. That God will restore back the tabernacle of David that's falling down. Why? So that even the rest of mankind can seek God, even and including the Gentiles. David was a very unique Old Testament figure. Unique in the sense that he lived in the old, but God, by his grace, gave him a revelation of the new. Incredible. Because now you're about to see something to help us understand that from the beginning of times, it had been God's plan that salvation and the revelation of who he is will only be through none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it amazes me to know that even in the Old Testament scriptures, God packages these things and hides them in there. Not hiding away from us, but hiding for us. So that as you and I become diligent and studying and reading, we can begin to discover gems, gems of grace, gems of faith to strengthen us and to encourage us in our work. So First Chronicles 13, background, background here. The Ark of the Covenant, which in Israel represents the presence of God, the power of God, the glory of God. This Ark of the Covenant was a chest. And whenever Israel went to battle, they carried the ark into the battle, the enemy scattered. Now, under King Saul, the ark had been captive by the Philistines for over 40 years. Think about that. In other words, Israel was functioning as a kingdom of God without God for over 40 years. So when David became king, one of the first things on his to-do list 
was to bring back the ark of God, or if you will, the presence of God back to Israel. He got the elders together. He said to them, wait a minute. We've been without God for all these years. We need to fix that. They said, yes, you are right. Let's fix it. So that's where we are here, First Chronicles 13. Let's pick it up. Now, don't forget, we are talking about the fact that Jesus alone is sufficient. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 13. Then David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you and if it is the Lord our God, let us send to our brethren everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel and with them to the priests and Levites who are in their cities and their common lands that they may gather together to us and let us bring back the ark of God, for we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. Now you can see why Saul failed. He did not check with God for 40 years. Now, I pray that there's no Saul among us. Then all the assembly said that they will do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Verse 5. So David gathered all Israel together from Shehor in Egypt to as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kijoth Jerim. And David and all Israel went up to Bala to Kijoth Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God of the Lord, which who dwells between the cherubim, where his name is proclaimed. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab. Now, I don't have enough time to, 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 to really massage all these scriptures this morning, but you need to underline and take note of some key words. This ark had been in the house of this man, Abinadab, for 70 years. Seven zero. 70 years. The man was a priest. So they went to his house to retrieve the ark and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. Verse 8. Then David and all Israel played music before God. You need to underline this next phrase. With all their might. They didn't just play music. They played the music. Diola, Ngozi, Selwyn. They played the music, Melisha. With, not with the Spirit of God. Not with the Spirit of God. With all their might. They did not rely on the Spirit of God. But they relied on their might. Their knowledge. Their skill set. Their talent. Let's read on. With singing on harps and string instruments, tambourines, cymbals, and with trumpets. I need to hurry on. And when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Verse 10. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah. And he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. My goodness. What kind of a God is this? We are bringing God back to town. We are bringing God back to our house. We are bringing God back to our family. We are bringing God back to our businesses. 
We are bringing God back to where he belongs, in the center of our lives. We started to do it by the law. But remember what I told you about the law? There are 613 of them. If you did 600 right or 612 or 590 or 20 of them right, as long as you don't do all 613, it comes for nothing. They took this ark, got to the threshing floor of uh, Chidon, and the oxen, because of the bump on the road, shook. And Uzzah, out of a well-meaning good intention, did not want the ark of God to fall. He did not want God, quote-unquote, to fall. So he reached out to help God. God, ah, abomination, you must not fall. And the moment he touched the ark, he died. This man, Uzzah, died trying to go do a good thing. I wonder this morning, how many of us with good intentions, well-meaning good intentions, are finding failure, shortages. We are finding that in our good intention, nothing is happening. Let's read on. Now, David became angry. Any leader will be. Something that started well, we want to bring God back. How can God kill somebody in the process of trying to bring him back? Because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. I need to move on very quickly. David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? How? We are dancing. We are bringing him. God was going to fall. We help God and we die for helping God. Verse 13 is the key. So David would not move the ark with him into the city of David, but took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom. You need to underline that. The Jittite. Ha! Verse 14. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. Please compare that with 70 years. Three months in the house of Obed-Edom versus 70 years in the house of Abinadab. Oh my God. And the Lord blessed the house of Obedidom and all that he had. He had 68 children. All of them were significantly, tremendously blessed. So this is a question for all of us. Why is it that the ark that killed Uzzah now is blessing Obedidom? Let's take a pause. Did you guys hear what I just said? The same ark that a man touched that brought death. That same ark now in the house of Obedidom. Don't forget, don't just say Obedidom. Obedidom the Jittite. Because that's the key. Very simple. Israel, Abinadab, Huzzah, they were the ones that received the custody of the oracles of God, the commandments and the law of Moses. 
which they could not feel. That's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that the law is a ministration of death. It's a ministration of death, ministration of condemnation. Go and read it. I didn't, I didn't write it. It's there. But look at this. Obed Edom the Gittite. Well, who's a Gittite? It's a Gentile. Not just a Gentile. He's from the city of Gath, the same town as Goliath, the enemy of Israel. Oh, God. God is trying to say something to you. For these Philistines, for these Gittites, for these Gentiles, they did not have the law. God did not give them the law. They do not understand adding anything to God. Oh, my God. So when they brought the ark to the house of Obedidom, all he knew was the ark. He did not know the Ten Commandments. He did not know the laws of Moses. All he knew was the ark. It was Jesus plus nothing for him. And in three short months, his household and everything he had was blessed. Whereas with Abinadab, 70 years of keeping Jesus in his house, nothing happened to him. Jesus alone is sufficient. Jesus alone is enough. I do not have time to milk this. Maybe on Wednesday night I will. But I just want you to understand this morning that even back in the Old Testament, those that had no knowledge of God, when they had the opportunity to come in contact with God, they get blessed. Instantly. No argument, no controversy, no debate. Obedidom, a Gittite. These are the same people that Israel used to fight on a regular basis. Now, immediately this happened. David said, what? What? The same ark we're trying to bring that killed Uzzah, now he's blessing this household. He went back and brought the ark. To Israel. I, can't, I cannot go into all the details, but mind you, God talked about the time in the book of Romans when as a result of God's blessing upon the Gentiles, the Jews will be provoked. That's exactly what happened here. I don't have time to get into all of that. All I'm trying to establish for us this morning is the issue of the fact that Jesus alone is enough. You do not need Jesus of his philosophy, you don't need Jesus and Muhammad. Jesus and Buddha, Jesus and Confucian, Je Jesus and your laws, rules and your... No! Just get to know Jesus. Just get to know Jesus. Just get to know Jesus. That is the essence of eternal life. This is life eternal. That you may get to know, we may get to know you, the, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Because in knowing him, you know what to do. You know what to do. Now, let me just close this portion by showing certain scriptures. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Obedi didn't know Jack. He didn't know anything other than the fact that he came to his house. He didn't have to reconcile the laws of Moses. He didn't have to think through 
What is the protocol? What is the procedure? How do I handle the ark? No. All he just needs, the ark is here. And he welcomes the ark. And the ark blesses household. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. Mind you, who's a centurion? A Gentile. A Gentile. What's the issue about the Gentiles? They were not supposed to know God. The law did not come to them. The law was given expressly to Israel. Pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you come under my roof. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Now, look at this guy. For I am also a man under authority, having shoulders under me. And I said to this one, go. And he goes, and to another, come. And he comes, and to my servant, and do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. There are very few places in the scriptures where Jesus marveled. Very few. Each time he marveled, you want to know something? It was because of an encounter with the Gentile. Each time Jesus marveled, it was as a result of an encounter with a Gentile. He marveled because they were not supposed to know anything. He marveled because with them, there was no obstacle. What you see is what you get. I'm a pagan, I don't know Jack, but I see you, Jesus, I want what you have. End of story. He marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I said to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. You that have the custodian of the, of the, of the oracles of God, I have not found such faith among you guys. Amen? Amen? Give him Matthew 21. Verses 15 through 18. No, I'm sorry. Matthew 15. Matthew 15. Verse 21 through 28. Matthew 15. Verse 15 through 28. No, no, no. Matthew 15, verse 21 through 28. Thank you. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away. For she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This woman was not, was not a Jew. But she came anyway. And Jesus tried to discourage her. Then she came and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. Thank, that's how much the lady was desperate. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the, to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, how, how much, if I said this today, they put my license to preach. First, he tells her, I only came for, for the Jews. 
The lady persisted. Then he says to her, I can't give the children's bread and give it to the dogs. In other words, you are a dog. And Jesus knew what he was doing. Because actually the Jews, they had prayers that they prayed in the morning. Where they thank God that God did not make them a dog like the Gentiles. Regular prayer. So Jesus knew that. And that's why he threw that in. And she said, yes, Lord. You call me a dog? Yes. Even the little dogs eat the crumble which fall from their master's table. Oh, hallelujah. In other words, I know you got what I need. You can call me the dog. You can call me a Gentile. You call me a Canaanite. I don't care what you call me. I know what I need and I know who has it. I know you're all sufficient. You're more than enough. I am not moving because I know you're going to deliver. Then Jesus answered and said to her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Yes. <laughs> Let it be to you as you desire. Yes. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. What stops you and I from accessing Jesus and making him the all-sufficient one in every area of our life and needs? Would you let a little annoyance be a hindrance to you receiving from him? Would you allow a little insult, being called a dog, or being called any other name, would you allow that to become a barrier to where you know your source is? In Mark chapter 5, one last one. In Mark chapter 5, in verse 25, Mark 5.25. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in a crowd and touched his garment. Now, this woman is a Jew, but she had an issue of blood. And as a Jew, she understood the law. For anyone with this issue of blood to be in a crowd, according to Moses, the law of Moses, she should be yelling, unclean, unclean, unclean. She should be giving notice to everybody else to get out of the way because if anyone touched a person who was unclean, they became automatically unclean. This woman must have broken 10 to 20 laws of Moses to get to Jesus. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. You are not desperate yet. When your disease or your sickness or whatever the ailment has been on you for 10 years, for 12 years, for 15 years, you totally ignore, disregard all of the man-made rules and regulations. She pressed in. She ignored Moses. And notice, when she touched Jesus, Jesus did not say, you've not fulfilled the law. Once she set aside all of the rules and regulations that would have deprived her of the access to Jesus, and she finally got to him, he said, for she said, if I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Verse 29. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. My friends, this morning, 
you are one Jesus touch away from your breakthrough. Your breakthrough is one Jesus away from you. And when I say one Jesus, I mean Jesus alone. That's where the result is. This woman went through whatever it was, but she was so focused and said, if I can just touch him. He's my source. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the Alpha, the, the author and the finish of my faith. If I can just touch him, I know I get what I need. Is that where you are today? Are we going to stop mixing Jesus with other things? Jesus and philosophy. Jesus and our education. Jesus and our talent. Jesus and my family. Jesus and my brother. Jesus and my sister. Jesus. You can't do that. There are seven ways. And I will not get into that now. I'm just going to get one or two and then we're going to close. Seven easy ways to understand that Jesus is enough. Even today, it's enough. There is nothing that's happening to you and I for which Jesus is not enough. If he wasn't, God would have been a fraud. But we know God is not a fraud. It's enough. It's just a matter of you and I reconciling that and believing that and totally, completely focusing on that. The world will offer us everything else and none of those things can ever solve our problems. Number one, it saves us. Acts 4.12. It saves us. Acts 4.12. The Bible says there's no other name under heaven. There's salvation in any, there's no salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Everything else is a lie. Everything else is a lie. Jesus is the only way to eternal salvation. Period. End of story. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, I don't know where you are, who you are, what you are grappling with this morning, if you have not already made that commitment, that's your starting point. You need to be saved. And salvation does not come in any other, under heaven, other than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only savior. There are not two saviors. It's not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. It's not Confucius. It's not your education. It's not your philosophy. Only Jesus. He's the only one that saves. He's the only one that saves. And he said, all those that God has given him, no one. You will not lose anyone. You will not lose anyone. So number one, you must know this morning, Jesus is all sufficient. He's alone. He's enough for your salvation. It's enough for your salvation. That's all you need. Secondly, and this is the last one I'm going to do this morning, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Hebrews 10, 14, it perfects us. It perfects us. Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, he has perfected forever. Say forever. forever. Say forever. forever. I wonder if you guys mean it. 
The way you guys are saying it sometimes, I don't know if you guys mean it. He has perfected forever those who have been sanctified. No one else can perfect you. No one else. So you may look at yourself right now and say, well, I don't feel like I'm perfected. I don't look like I'm perfected. I have areas in my life I'm still working on. Just chill. Just chill. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says, we are his workmanship. What does that mean? Workmanship means there's a process. A man who's painting a picture does not just grab his pen, grab the canvas, and the picture is painted. No, it takes days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months. And ultimately, the picture emerges. We are his workmanship. In other words, you are a work in progress. Oh my God. You may not realize how much progress you've made. It's just like a woman that is pregnant, Derek. One day she does a pregnancy test. It's positive, which means she's pregnant. She goes about to work, she goes to school, she goes about her business. Nobody at that point knows she's pregnant. But she does because she's done a test. A new life is in her already, but it's not evident to all. Day by day by day by day, different things begin to take place in her body. Sometimes she's throwing up, loss of appetite, or in other cases, serious appetite for certain things. All this while, she still may not be showing. But the life is in her. Then after a while, she starts getting bigger. She starts getting bigger. She starts getting bigger. The life that began in her weeks ago, months ago, of which nobody knew was there, begins to gradually show. So much so, certain days she cannot even look at her toes. She's so huge, she can't see her toes any longer. Hello? I've since, well, don't let me go there. <laughs> Huge! She may not be able to see her toes because of the size of her tummy, but her toes still there? Yes. How does she know when she wiggles her toes? Ah, they're there. Yeah. I don't see them, but they're there. Yeah. That's, what it, that's what life is like for many of us. We have been perfected. Amen. The seed of the life of God is already in you. Amen. Like that pregnant woman, you are developing. Just the way a workman begins to do the work on this craft, you are developing. After a while, we will see the finished product if you don't give up on the process. I'm going to stop there this morning. Can we just bow our heads for a minute? All I've said this morning is Jesus alone is enough, it's sufficient. We don't need any add-ons. We don't need to add him to Muhammad or add him to your tradition, add him to your culture, add him to this one. No. Let him stand alone. Like Obedido. Embrace him. Fill your heart with his words, with his promises towards you. Believe what he said concerning you. That he loves you. He cares about you. That your welfare is his concern. You didn't bring yourself to this world. And you cannot fix yourself while you're here. So with all head bowed and eyes closed. If you are here this morning. And you don't know Jesus. 
Acts 4.12. We already read it. The Bible is very clear. There is no salvation anywhere else under heaven except at the name of the Lord Jesus. Get it right with him right now. All he wants is for you to acknowledge him and to believe in your heart that God gave him as a sacrifice, as an atonement for your sins and to offer to you the gift of forgiveness. It's an eternal gift, a gift of forgiveness. And in exchange for that, he gives you his righteousness. So Father, this morning in Jesus' name, I pray for everyone, every man, every woman. I thank you, Lord God, that your free gift of forgiveness, your free gift of righteousness will be embraced, accepted, received in the name of Jesus. And you, God, will circumcise the heart of that man or woman or child, girl or boy, who makes this commitment this morning. Thank you, Father God, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We are blessed. We honor you. In Jesus' name. Second prayer I want to pray. I don't want us to hear a message like this and go back to our own vomit. I don't want you to go back to your rules or your regulations and all the things you've, 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 uh, uh, you've learned over the years that you think you must do in order to be right with God. I'm telling you this morning, Jesus, is, Jesus alone is enough.